Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. We are beginning a new series today entitled Hope at the Movies. This is uh, something I've done every single year uh, for a long time. And so uh, the whole idea of it is just have something a little lighthearted. We've done some heavy stuff over the last several months. Uh, I would do something a little lighthearted uh, and, uh, I don't know, just a little fun as we think about uh, how we can find elements and aspects of our faith and our hope and our love of God uh, in the cinema. And so today we are doing a message based off of Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick. And this is our Hope in the, seri- hope in the Movies series. This would be a good time, if you've not already done so, to pull out your Hope Church Plus app and the follow-along notes, as well as the, uh, the notes that we've inserted inside of your info guide. Hopefully, we have some really good content and some information here that will help you as you think about thinking like Maverick. Um, that may not be exactly what you uh, need to do, but hopefully, we'll see some parallels, right? So, Proverbs 23.7, our preview verse for today says, what he thinks is what he really is. Now, this is Solomon who wrote the Proverbs, a book of wisdom, showing us and revealing to us that our life is essentially directed by our thoughts. Wasn't it Descartes that said, I think, therefore I am? Right? Same basic idea. In fact, I was going to use Descartes' quote. and like, well, Solomon actually said it first, so uh, we're going to go with Solomon. Uh, but the whole idea is, is that the way that we think has this way of dictating the direction of our life. And it's maybe something that you have experienced at various times growing up, or maybe you have a child or something, and uh, the, the point that you try to make to somebody is that whatever you seem to go looking for, you'll tend to find it, right? If you go looking for trouble, you'll find trouble. If you go looking for hope or love or grace, you'll, you'll find it, right? It's we are essentially products of how it is that we think. Now, it used to be that in the realm of psychology and psychiatry and neuroscience, that it was believed once we really got into and beyond adolescence that our thought patterns were essentially set. Now, that's pretty much true for our personality, but somewhat recently, like within the last 20 years or so, neurologists, and again, psychologists and psychiatrists began to realize that there are actually ways that we can change the neural pathways in our brains. And that's an extraordinary thing. Because what we see from what has been learned in the last, say, generation of neurological medicine also comports with what the Bible has been talking about for millennia. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that you are transformed when you change the way that you, what? Think. Transformation comes by the renewing of the mind. So... Modern medicine is beginning to catch up with ancient wisdom. 
that we can change the way that we look and we see and we experience the world when we look to change the way that we think. And so what term has been given now is called neuroplasticity. And the image is sort of like a water bottle, if you will. Now, our dog loves water bottles because she can put them in her mouth and she can crunch them and she can make all kinds of noise and all kinds of messes. But what we see about neuroplasticity is the brain has aspects of it that are kind of like plastic, that when they get heated and when they get exercised, if you will, they actually can take on a whole new molding and shaping. And so this whole idea and concept of neuroplasticity says that we actually can, regardless if we are just a few days or a few decades beyond adolescence, really truly change the way that we think and the way that we see the world. And again, like I mentioned a few moments ago, modern medicine is finally catching up with ancient wisdom. It's almost like God knew what he was doing, right? It's almost like God knew what he was doing. And so... We're going to look this morning at what is called the Christ hymn out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, where the Apostle Paul wrote this, uh, this phrase. He probably quoted some of it or paraphrased some of it, but it was probably in existence there. But uh, the Apostle Paul put this into his second letter or his, the second chapter of the letter to the Philippians that deals with how we are to change our neural pathways so that we can begin to see the world and think about the world more like Jesus, okay? So, we're going to talk about thinking like Jesus right now. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, reading from the message version today. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever, so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Amen and amen. That last verse really becomes the bridge from how we were in our last series, The Power of Three, talking about the harrowing of hell, the relationship that God wants to have every single, with every single one of us weaving our lives with him. What we see is that Jesus wove his human life around us, right? The first thing that we think about is we want to think like Jesus, the Apostle Paul put that very explicitly in the very first verse or two of Philippians chapter 2, where he was talking about, I need you to think like Jesus, and to think like Jesus also thought about the world. And then Paul goes on to challenge thought processes around a word that might mean something to you and me today, status. 
status. How often do we think about status and allow status to dictate the way that we think or we see about the world? If we have great status, oftentimes we want everybody to know it. If we're striving for great status, oftentimes we want everybody to know it, particularly those that we have to leapfrog in order to get to a higher status. So much of life is about status. Even when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he tempted him with the idea of status and power and popularity. So this whole idea and concept of status meant an awful lot to Jesus because he had to consistently and continuously live into the thought process that was required for his role, for his job on earth. To put aside the deity and all the powers and privileges that go along with it in order to live the status of a human and to stay human. I I don't know if that jumped out to you off the screen or off the page as you read that. That it said Jesus became human and he stayed human. Do you think at any particular time Jesus might have been tempted to maybe call on his divine side with a little more tenacity. I do. Several times, actually. Not the least of which when he was having nails driven through his wrists and his feet and the crown of thorns put on his head. Maybe when he was being ridiculed or tripped or tricked or even getting aggravated with the disciples. One of my, this is not in my notes, but one of my favorite side verses uh, is when Jesus looks at the disciples and they're arguing, he's like, how much longer do I have to put up with you? I tell you what, that really reveals the humanity of Jesus, doesn't it? How much longer? You see, Jesus, he embraced his humanity and he lived into it. And that is what enabled and empowered him to receive and to accept the punishment and the penalty of the cross. And so if this is how Jesus thought, then it also should direct us into living like that as well. Because as the scripture goes from talking about Jesus' thinking in terms of status, it talked about how it directed him to think in terms of being a servant. Being a servant. And how he wants us, and and God wants us to serve like Jesus, who again had all the power and popularity and prestige to be able to ask people to jump and have them say how high. But Jesus, one of his final acts before he went to the cross was to kneel down himself and to wash the dirty, smelly feet of the disciples. They didn't understand it. In fact, they rejected it because they knew Jesus had status, right? And what did Jesus say? You don't understand what I'm doing right now, but the time will come when you will. And I want you to remember this. And I want you to model this for the world. That the Son of Man, the King of Kings came to serve. Even down to washing feet. Jesus thought like a servant. That oftentimes runs in contradiction with our desire for status, doesn't it? That desire for Status to to be big, to be known, to be famous. Jesus said, I want you to think not about status, but about service. And then the Apostle Paul goes on to talk about even beyond being a servant, 
Jesus considered himself a slave. Now, friends, I recognize that that word is a loaded word, especially in our North American mindset and culture, isn't it? It can make us feel uncomfortable, especially when we think about in the 1800s when the battle over slavery in our nation was becoming much more intense. There were well-meaning, at least they thought they were, well-intentioned Christians who began editing out parts of the Bible to try to justify the way that slavery was practiced in America. The American and the practice of slavery that still takes place today around the world is very different from how slavery was seen in the biblical times. There were three main types of slaves as it was known through the scripture, as it was known through uh, biblical history. The first were prisoners of war. In their attempts at military conquest, if uh, soldiers would be, or not just soldiers, but also citizens, if they would be conquered, they were oftentimes taking, taken as part of the uh, spoils of war, if you were, as it Second type of slavery common in the scripture was concubine slavery. That one's icky. Not going to deny that. But the third type of slaves, as it was typically mentioned in the Bible, and this is the one that is referred to by Paul in this passage from Philippians, are uh, indebted slaves. Indebted slaves. Any fans of Seinfeld? Uh, yeah, I mean, I know, I know John, I mean, I love Seinfeld. Uh, one of the thoughts about their show that they were doing in the, in the pilot was uh, someone ended up having to become the person's butler because of a, I believe it was a car accident. Was it a car accident? Had be a, he had to become the butler. That is more consistent with the idea of what uh, the scripture puts forth in terms of what a slave was. That a slave was someone who was indebted to the point where they were unable to pay off their debt. So they would go work for the person or for the, the master, to use that language, to pay off the debt. And then when the year of Jubilee came, which was every seven years, all the debts were canceled and slaves were set free. It's a very, very different concept from the way that we have learned and we've seen slavery lived out in our North American concept, um, concepts as well as it's still being played out many times throughout the year, so when, or throughout the world. So whenever we see a reference like what we see here in Philippians chapter 2 about Jesus becoming a slave, think about it in terms of Jesus had a debt to pay. Now, did Jesus really have a debt to pay? Say no. No, of course he didn't have a debt to pay, but who did? We did. And what was that debt? Say sin. Sin. Jesus came and made himself a slave, so to speak, an indentured servant maybe a more technically accurate term, Jesus came to be an indentured servant for you and me to pay off a debt that we would never be able to pay. And that's why Jesus had that thought about the world and about you and me where he would say, I need to think about the world differently. My status is not here to lord over everybody, but to pay off the debts that we have accrued and accumulated that we would never be able to pay on our own. Does that change the way that you see or think about that word as it appears on the screen? 
Does it change the way that you think about how Jesus looked at his life and said, I am going to humble myself to be like a servant, maybe even a slave, so that I can pay off the debt that you can never pay? It certainly does for me. And so it's not about status or power. It's about obedience. It's about setting an example and living in an example, even down to his willingness to sacrifice his life on the cross so that you and I could know what it means to be debt-free. Our clip, Top Gun Maverick, comes toward the end. And we're going to see a clip here after Maverick has already made a great sacrifice to protect the son of his late friend, Goose. Now, Maverick, in so doing, is also acting in such a way where he feels like he himself has a debt to pay to the memory of his lost friend. And so what we see that transpires after Maverick sacrifices himself is it inspires someone else to make a sacrifice as well, which is his late friend's goose's son, call sign Rooster. So let's watch our clip from Top Gun Maverick. And there are a couple PG-13 words here, okay? You know, I, I know it. But, um, you know, bear with me. Uh, the, the clip is too good, okay? So let's watch our clip from Top Gun Maverick. And I want you to think about some of the stuff that we've already explored. Service, status, indebtedness, and sacrifice to pay off a debt that we could never pay off. Let's watch our clip from Top Gun Maverick. Maverick's gone.
I'm good. You all right? What the hell? What are you doing here? What am I doing you here? You I took that missile? So you can be down here with me? You should be back on the carrier by now. I saved your life. I saved your life. That's the whole point. What the hell were you even thinking? You told me not to think. So what's the plan? <laughs> All right, so we see a couple things play out there, right? Willingness to sacrifice. Uh, I should have mentioned beforehand that Maverick wasn't as, and this was in the trailer, right, uh, in the bumper, uh, that Maverick wasn't as concerned about his status. He never reached Admiral. He, he was content to be a captain. It was one of life's great mysteries. It wasn't about status for him. It was about service and, uh, and serving and teaching, and, uh, and he was a little bit of a renegade. You know, Jesus was too, not equating Maverick with Jesus, but uh, work with me. There are parallels, if you will. But I am tickled specifically by a theme that we saw there toward the end of the clip that is played out throughout the movie where Maverick says, don't think, act. Don't think, act. What Maverick was trying to instruct and instill within his students was that the need to act should become instinctual, where it changes the way that you think and you see the world. Neuroplasticity. We have a very strong mode of self-preservation, or instinct for self-preservation, don't we? Absolutely. It will inspire us to do crazy things. Some minor things like telling a fib or a little white lie or major things. We have a strong instinct towards self-preservation. And what Maverick was trying to teach the pilots was that there are going to be times and circumstances where you cannot think in terms of your self-preservation mode. You have to act according to the instincts that are being put within you. And friends, that is the message that the Apostle Paul was pointing us to see in Jesus. That this very human instinct for self-preservation is what we have to begin to think through and to think beyond. Not just self-preservation, but also that need for us to have status, right? For status to be based on how many people we have serving us, as opposed to how many people can we serve. And so if we've talked about thinking like Jesus and serving like Jesus, and if we are seriously wanting to live like Jesus, then what we have to do is exactly what Jesus did. And act like Jesus. To embrace our humanity. To recognize those things that pull us strongly into that instinct for self-preservation. Or for status. To lord it over people. To serve. To sacrifice. To do things that even might not make sense. 
And so acting like Jesus requires us to think about what it is that Christ wants us to do. To focus our life around service and sacrifice as opposed to status. It requires constant attention and commitment to the ways of God based on the will of God and what we learn in the word of God. And to keep our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus. And yes, even the crucified Christ. Because it shows us that example of someone who loved so deeply that he moved beyond his own need for self-preservation and his mission of service and sacrifice and obedience and love. We all need steps to help improve our neuroplasticity, don't we? To begin to think like Jesus and serve like Jesus and act like Jesus. The good news is for you, I've got a quick four-step process. Not exhaustive, but I've got four quick things I can share with you and I will share with you this morning to help you improve your neuroplasticity, to begin to change the way that you think. The first thing that I want you to do is to check your habits. Your habits, right? We all have these instincts that tell us, I need to do something for either my status or my sense of... uh, I don't know, superiority or whatever, right? Or things that help me cope. Do you have any bad habits? No, I've got a couple, right? We need to check our habits, those things that pull us into the more sinful layers of our humanity that Christ wants to help us get out of. Christ wants us to get out of. Uh, I mentioned this to the students a while back. You know, it used to be that uh, it was thought that habits were developed in 30 days. And now it's more like 45 to 60 because of the numbers of distractions that we have. And not just the numbers of distractions, but the ease that we have to fulfill our cravings and to slip into bad habits. It takes longer and more directed attention and effort to break some of those bad habits. So if you know what your bad habits are, that leads us to our second step to help improve your neuroplasticity. Identify your path of least resistance. Well, what is the path of least resistance? The path of least resistance, since you asked, is that part of us that says, I want to take the easy way out. I will maybe tell a little fib. I'll avoid this, that, or the other. I will not get into the hard, heavy things that are the right things because I want to choose the path of least resistance. Every single one of us is prone to the path of least resistance. Right? What was it that Robert Frost said about the two paths, the two trails in the forest? There was the one that was well-worn, the one, the one that was not, and he decided to take the road less taken, and it made all the difference in his life. The path of least resistance. And then focus on your beliefs. Focus on your beliefs. In a few moments, we're going to have two candidates for baptism, two of our teenagers, who are going to come and make a public profession of their beliefs. And the whole process that we do in and around baptism is we celebrate those who are making those public professions, but we also go through the Apostles' Creed because it is important, nay imperative, for all of us to remember what it is that we believe about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and how Jesus calls us to live our life in response to that. And then, the fourth step is committing to repetition and practice. Committing to repetition 
and practice. It's oftentimes been said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. But it's unique to me that that also refers to practice. <laughs> I remember, uh, I mentioned this in a message a while back, and Jimmy and I had a little, you know, conversation about it because of how I saw, I think it was Austin Riley, MVP caliber third baseman power hitter for the Braves. And when he got in the batting cage before every game, the first thing that he would do was off a tee. A tee. When I get to, got to be about five or six years old, I thought I outgrew T-ball. And we see from the professionals, the masters of the craft, that they go back to the beginning. They go back to the fundamentals. And they practice. Repetition. Muscle memory. That, my friends, is what helps us to overcome our thoughts that want to drive us into the path of least resistance to succumb to our natural tendency to take the easy way out. And so, if you are looking for ways, and I hope that you are, to improve your neuroplasticity so that you begin to think more like Jesus, look at those four steps. Check your habits. Identify your path of least resistance. Focus on your beliefs and commit to living them in repetition and practice. There's no doubt that we're never going to get it all right. But the beauty of a of faith and a life lived in Christ is we are called to strive for perfection. Not just achieve it, right? And striving for that means that we are going to commit our beliefs and our actions and our thoughts and our words and everything. We're going to commit those to the power and the person of Jesus Christ. And so, friends, as we bring this message to a close... I want to encourage you to think about your own habits, your path of least resistance, the beliefs that you hold near and dear, and a commitment to continuing to live, practicing and working in the Spirit of God and Jesus Christ. Next week, when we continue our series on Hope at the Movies, we're going to dig a little bit more deeply into the thought process and the understanding of who Christ is and what Christ did by using a clip from Avatar, The Way of Water. Uh, don't forget that you have an opportunity to make a difference in this world for Jesus Christ. God wants you to think differently, to serve differently and act differently uh, because of who Jesus is and who Jesus is in your life. So go with God, go in peace, go to love. Let's make a difference in this world for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Hope to see you next Sunday. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.